0: RPC Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp. And I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, there is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxingmatters. will recall that we recently spoke with david allen of the law commission about their consultation on the law of corporate crime in the uk today to dive a little deeper into that discussion is Dr. Robin Loof. Robin is a barrister at Founding Court Chambers who has recently returned to the Independent Bar after eight years as an employed barrister at the UK offices of a US firm. Robin, as well as a barrister in the UK, is a qualified advocate of the Paris Bar and just in case that wasn't enough, as well as French, he also speaks fluent Italian and Swedish and German and Spanish under protest. Robin, welcome to Taxi Matters.
0: Thank you very much, Alice.
1: So the Law case Education's consultation about the potential to reform the law of corporate criminal liability has been launched and, in fact, closed recently. Do you think that the law actually needs to be altered, or is it working as it was intended to do?
0: Just to give you the headline answer, so first of all, I think the law should be altered, but I, at the same time, find it hard to say whether it's actually working as intended. I think it might be important just to clarify, as David might have made clear in the previous podcast, that the Law Commission's remit is to consider the general regime for corporate criminal liability. And so there is no intention to reconsider any of the various special statutory regimes that exist. Of particular interest, perhaps, for key listeners to this podcast, is that there is no effort to, for instance, amend the Criminal Finance Act of 2017. So looking then at the general regime, in very high-level overview... The rules are that a company will be criminally liable if an individual who can be described as the directing mind and will of the company commits an offence whilst acting on its behalf. And when we're talking about an individual who is a directing mind and will, we are talking about someone who will count effectively as one of the senior most officers or director of a company. Way back when the courts elaborated this principle in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, the rationale was that as a rule, criminal guilt requires a guilty mind. And so that means that the individual or person committing an offense needs to do so with some form of intentional knowledge. But obviously, a company being a legal construct does not have a mind. And so the courts felt that there needed to be an individual whose mind the could effectively be deemed to be that of the company, and only, in the court's reasoning, a very senior person would then do. So, against that background, well, what do I think? It seems to me that companies, albeit that they are legal constructs, they do cause harm, which sometimes amount to harm in the criminal law, and that the criminal law is there to protect against And I also think that corporate decision-making, by that I mean the dispersal of information and responsibilities within companies, is such that it makes little sense and is often highly artificial to have as a condition of corporate criminal liability that a very senior representative was intentionally or knowingly involved in causing that harm. So that would be my reasoning for looking at this basic rule of corporate criminal liability again.
1: That's a really interesting point. So you also practice in France as well as in the UK, and you've been involved in matters of considering corporate criminal liability in both of those jurisdictions plus Italy, and they all take a very different approach to this fundamental question. So how does the corporate criminal liability work in, for example, France, the US and Italy?
0: Well, let's begin with France then. France has a superficially similar system to ours. There is an article in the French Criminal Code, which states that companies are guilty by virtue of the criminal acts committed on their behalf by their organs or representatives. The difference, however, is the way in which the French courts apply and have applied. The result is that in practice, French law on corporate criminal liability is rather more flexible than our system. And so French corporate criminal liability is wider than it is in the UK. And
1: what about the US?
0: Effectively, American corporate criminal liability applies civil principles of vicarious liability. They effectively took the rules on corporate civil liability from English common law and applied that more or less straight across to American corporate criminal liability. And effectively, what this means is that any individual who commits an offense whilst acting on behalf of a company will render that company criminally liable along with him or her. So it's a very simple rule, but it's also very strict.
1: And much broader than is contemplated by the current formulation of the English law, for example.
0: Much, much broader. In the US colloquially, you say that if a receptionist at the headquarters of a multi-billion, 100,000-plus employee company pays a bribe to someone handing over a parcel, that technically will make the company liable. But it's not the case in England.
1: And in practice, does it?
0: Um, In practice, it does. In theory, it does. In practice, it wouldn't because of prosecutorial discretion.
1: And what about in Italy? How does it work there?
0: Italy is interesting because technically it does not have corporate criminal liability. What there is, is a system of corporate administrative liability for criminal offences committed on their behalf. Now, effectively, and I simplify grossly, if the offending was made possible by deficiencies in the company's systems of control or compliance framework, the company is held liable for a long list of criminal offences committed on their behalf by individuals. This liability, albeit that it's technically administrative, is actually enforced by prosecutors in the criminal court. The difference with criminal liability is perhaps not that great in practice and certainly not how it seems to a company which effectively finds itself on trial often alongside individuals who are charged with criminal offences.
1: So does that apply in practice in a similar way to a failure to prevent style offence would in the UK?
0: I need to be slightly careful because, of course, there are differences, but I think people familiar with the regime under the two failures to prevent offences in the UK would find great similarities between the Italian system and the UK one.
1: Of course, these systems are very, very different from the UK and over and above their treatment of corporate criminal liability. What are the features that you think that the UK could adopt from any of those systems?
0: There is little that is inherently compatible in the way any of these systems work from an English perspective. In particular, the US system is one which many think should be adopted in England. And in fact, it's one of the systems that the Law Commission expressly addresses and discusses in its discussion paper. And I would have thought that it will feature as one of the alternatives, one of the options that the Law Commission will present in its options paper, which should be published by the end of the year. In relation to the French system then, as I said, the reason it is, I should say, more flexible than in practice broader than the English system is mainly because of the way French courts have interpreted their criminal code. Many of these flexibilities could be introduced into the English system. It could also be said that English courts have not taken opportunities that they had to introduce similar flexibilities. I think what would be difficult to transpose in relation to the Italian system is the structural framework in the sense you would have criminal enforcement of administrative liability. That would sit very uncomfortably within the English judicial system. But if we ignore the taxonomy issue, the Italian system is effectively a generalized bribery act type structure where companies can escape liability by proving that they did have strong compliance frameworks and position. Looking at all of this together, I think the main differences that you have between the English system and the alternatives that we have discussed, it's not so much the theoretical rules of how corporate liability is defined, but it's in the general operation of the criminal justice systems in these countries as a whole, in particular, more or less resources being dedicated to investigating and prosecuting corporate offending. And also the way that criminal investigations and trials are carried out obviously make a huge difference. The more effective corporate enforcement is perceived to be Broadly speaking, the less pressure there is to reform corporate criminal liability rules. Again, it's quite interesting to look at debate in these various countries. The US, as we said, both have strict rules and very active enforcement. The extent that there are calls for reform, they are more often to make it more difficult to hold companies liable. In France, there have been some recent suggestions that the law maybe should be reformed, but nothing like the veracity of debate that we have had here for decades now.
1: That's how the system operate in theory and in practice. But what are the positives and negatives that you can draw out of each of them?
0: It's trite, but I think the basic point is that all other things equal, and perhaps we should come back to that, the broader the regime for corporate criminal liability, the greater the risk companies run of being criminally convicted. Whether that in and of itself is a good thing or a bad thing depends on your own philosophical perspective on the extent to which companies should be held liable for criminal offences. But what I think I can say is objectively incontrovertible is that companies as a rule seek to limit their risk of being held criminally liable. This results in system being put in place to prevent companies being held criminally liable. So what we have seen in this jurisdiction and in others is that changes in the law that make it easier to pursue companies for offending committed in the course of their activities have led to sometimes drastic improvements in compliance frameworks. Most recently, perhaps, the Bribery Act of the UK and the II reforms in France, had that effect in relation to bribery prevention. Equally, the Criminal Finances Act 2017, you know, we saw an uptick in tax compliance frameworks for professional services firms in particular. All in all, what we have seen, taking the corruption field as an example, is that certain practices, such as using sometimes quite shady middlemen have significantly reduced. And this is generally seen as being very positive. Obviously worth pointing out that compliance and compliance systems and compliance staff, are things that cost money and companies are unequally able to bear that comfortably. From a more practical perspective, then, what the effects we can see of changing the law is that some people might say that changes in regulation can have the same effect. You can achieve the same sort of compliance improvements by regulating companies more strictly and having effectively administrative enforcement. As an example of that, you can see the development of financial regulation, in particular in the UK over the past couple of decades. It's also said by some that because in general, the only penalties that can effectively be imposed on a company are financial, whether that be getting money for the checker or compensating victims or competitors that have been harmed by shady dealings. All this can be achieved in civil and or regulatory proceedings without any need to effectively dress this up in criminal clothes. Added to that is the argument that the criminal justice system is already creaking at the seams dealing with Regular crime, for want of a better phrase, that adding the additional burden of these huge and often cumbersome investigations and proceedings is not perhaps the best idea from a resourcing perspective.
1: You've mentioned there that where there are active and well financed investigators and there is an appetite for embarking on investigations, that there is a greatest degree of satisfaction within that jurisdiction for the regulation as it stands. With that in mind, will these reforms do what we want them to? Or are we barking up the wrong tree and we should in fact be looking to further resource the enforcement agencies or better equip our investigators? Is this all looking at the wrong end of the spectrum?
0: First of all, again, from a practical perspective, I think what you are effectively wanting me to say is absolutely right, in the sense that it is simply a fact that whatever the rules we have of corporate criminal liability, if there aren't enough resources dedicated to investigating and prosecuting offences involving corporates, it won't matter that much. In the UK, we are, I would say, unfortunately in the position where far too little resources are being spent on the criminal system in general, let alone those aspects of it, dedicated police investigations units or the prosecution service or the SFO that deal with business-related defending. If I could have one thing out of reforming the law and more resources, I would definitely go for more resources. Having said that, the two things aren't necessarily linked in the sense that it's, of course, better to have better legislation. We could talk about how good we are at enforcing it in our next podcast, perhaps. <laughs>
1: So thinking specifically about the compliance burden, which some of these options bring to bear on companies, what impact would these reforms have on businesses? And would it be a disproportionate impact on, say, for example, small and medium enterprise, or would it bite even harder on large businesses?
0: It's difficult to be too granular about this. The reason I think that we are unlikely to see, for a strong recommendation of adopting the US system, so the system is very strict vicarious liability where companies are effectively on the hook for any misbehavior by any member of staff is that it does not incorporate any express intent to improve compliance frameworks. In the US, as a matter of practice, a company's financial penalties will generally be reduced, and sometimes by a lot, if the offending occurred despite strong compliance systems. But it's not like the system under the Bribery Act or the Criminal Finances Act, where a company can effectively avoid liability entirely by proving that they had a strong compliance framework. It is a widely held view, and I think that's right in light of what we discussed earlier about the effect that these new laws had when they were brought in on compliance frameworks, that that type of legislation actually works. And so to the extent that there will be a reform My guess is that it will somehow incorporate this feature, effectively given so giving some kind of express incentive to improving compliance. And sense that there is great momentum towards some form of expansion of the failure to prevent structure that was used in the Bribery Act and the Criminal Finances Act, the likelihood is that to the extent that there is a reform here, it will involve effectively placing a greater compliance burden on companies. Given that we're talking about the general law, that will involve placing a greater compliance burden across the board. In theory, that burden should fall differently or unequally on companies according to the size and the nature of their operations. In the guidance that we have, proportionality is already a factor when assessing the adequacy of a compliance framework. But there is arguably, and I would say that it is the case, insufficient guidance out there to enable companies, and in particular, companies that aren't perhaps financially able to hire professional and specialist advisors, small and medium companies, to be able to make difficult decisions on what exactly they should do in, in particular circumstances, which aspects of their compliance framework that they should strengthen, and where that would be disproportionate. Now, having said all that, I think there will be additional costs. Take an example. I can imagine that if there is a reform in this direction again, that more and perhaps smaller companies may find themselves having to hire a full-time compliance officer. And that could be one of those threshold effects for some companies who, until now, have been able to content themselves with having a part-time compliance officer or combine that role with head of legal, etc.
1: So what advice would you have for businesses who are concerned about the impacts of these potential reforms?
0: The first thing I would say is that there is no cause to panic right now. I don't think it is likely that this or any government will want to increase the compliance burden on companies in the immediate future. The economy is in a generally perilous state and I think this is not a reform that the government would wish to add to business at the moment. In due course, if there is then reform, I think companies need also to consider the synergies that they can achieve by effectively adapting their existing compliance framework that they have currently targeting, say, corruption, it's not going to require a massive overhaul of compliance system to make it also fit for purpose to prevent fraud, for instance. So obviously there would be some costs, but I think the change will be one of degree rather than the complete overhaul that we saw occurring after the Bribery Act, for
1: instance. If the decision was yours, and you were deciding what option you were going for for the reform of the corporate criminal liability of the UK. Which one would you pick?
0: The one that I would pick is not one that is actually on the table for discussion, it would seem. <laughs> I would be in favour of a system where companies are held criminally liable for criminal harms that are caused by their operations. And the big difference with the system that I envisage. Um, with the current regime is that I would be in favor of corporate liability that is actually independent of the criminal liability of any individual. I think that is one of the main difficulties that we have currently, not only with the way the law is designed in theory, but also how it works and how it relates to enforcement activity in a particular DPAs. Having said that, I think there should be defenses where the law effectively deems that the company's operations did not cause the harm such as where it was occasioned, despite a strong working compliance framework. So in reality, if you're asking me what the system that I would be in favour of, the ones that are likely to be on the table, I think it would make sense to go for an expansion of the failure to prevent model, given that it's one that we are now familiar with. It's now one that companies are able to navigate and that their advisors will be relatively familiar with as well.
1: Unfortunately, that's all we have time for in this week's episode. You can get in touch with Robin via Fountain Court's website, on LinkedIn, or on Twitter. His handle is at R underscore Loof. That's L O O F. If you have any questions for me or for Robin, or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taximatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you.
0: RPC would like to thank podcast manager Josh McDonald. Original Score was composed and produced by Insider Music, yep. who also produced this podcast series. To hear a full, uninterrupted version of our podcast theme, go to Instagram at insider Music and follow the link in bio.
1: And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you like texting Matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered? which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and our website. If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe and remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again in two weeks.